Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast, episode 461. Uh, this episode was um, a little different. We did it as a Zoom call with Mark Jerry. It was me, Doug, Mustache Doug, and Mark. That was it. Everybody else is working, out of town. It's kind of a crazy time right now. Yep. Um, Doug made it in. We did the Zoom call. So that if you're listening to this in audio world, maybe you check out our YouTube. Um, because Doug's single and has nothing else to do. Right. And I just <laughs> lived the closest to the studio, so we made it happen. You That's know? right. Um, now, Mark's an awesome guy. Uh, we came in. So that will be video. It's like Zoom style recorded like that. Um, he wasn't in studio. but we, And we made it work. It was a lot of fun. Um, this one's very different. We mentioned this in the episode, episode 380. Go back roughly a year that's all about like summer scouting and pressure and all that i think you'll enjoy that episode um so hopefully you enjoyed this one a uh, big shout out to our partners uh the podcast is presented by elite archery code wcb saves you coin on a brand new spanking elite bow if that's what you want to do you can have it shipped from the store to a local dealer near you and then everybody's happy that local dealers making money they're getting business they're getting traffic they're getting traction elite is we are because they support us it's a beautiful thing and that code works for anything outdoor group also. Yeah, like uh, even people, even, even companies that are not our partners, like Great. Slick Trick Broadheads is a partner of ours. WCB works there. Scott Archery uh, releases. It works there. Yep. Um, so that's pretty cool. WCB, everything outdoor group branded. <clears throat> Big time. Um, you should probably be thinking about your fall food plots right about now. Go back to, what was it, episode 458? Yeah, 458, we did the big time episode, talked all about food plots, um, used code WCB2021. Um, also, Spy Point Cell Cams, Cell Links, Link Micros, they're selling two packs for like crazy deals. Like yep. You can get into a cell cam nowadays for very cheap, especially if you go Spy Point, throw some lithium batteries in that, make sure that baby's updated. Um, they're doing a ton of giveaways if you join their insider clubs, you get special pricing on your monthly like service plans or fees or whatever you want and to call it. It always seems like they have something on sale on their website. Like it's always something <laughs> you can get a deal on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's all great stuff too. And great people. Yep. Um, I'm happy with them. I'm running four cell links 
and then a couple other, I, and I haven't decided how I'm going to set them all out because some of them I'm going to like put in and not touch them for a while. I got mm-hmm. one cell link out already. Yeah, did so far. That's the, when I look at a farm, I'll take my cell cameras and I'll stick them back at the remote places to where you know you can't drive a pickup or a four wheeler right up mm-hmm. to them. So you put them in once. Put good batteries in them and just leave them alone. Let them marinate, and yeah. that's when the big boys show up. Keep the minimal pressure. Yep, definitely. Right. I like it. I like it. So check them out. Um, Rogue Ridge e bikes. I'm hard on them things, man, and I love them. Um, I need to uh, like my my internal brain is like, oh, we're testing new mic stand. Eric's having a failure. <laughs> Keep good good save. Good want, save. Want me though. to mute? Yeah, you good. No, I'm good. I'll just hang on to it for <laughs> hey, this I'm a, little section. Let it ride. Rogue Ridge e-bikes, man. I could have jumped <laughs> that bike over that mic stand and not even hit it like that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, whoops. It's the Spy Point Patrol Unit is what I'm calling my Rogue Ridge. Nice. There you go. I'm gonna, I need to get a Spy Point sticker for the top tube on the frame. There you um, go. Awesome bikes. Um, e-bikes are so much fun. It's a great excuse if you're like, wife won't let you get one or your husband won't let you get one. Just look at this way. You can ride that summer sucker around the summer just up and down the road. And Oh, yeah, down the neighbor's house, have a few cocktails, you know? Yeah, put them in your front basket. I don't <laughs> yeah. know if you can get a DUI on an e-bike, but try it. <laughs> look into it. Look into it. Hell, I would. Look into it. <laughs> <laughs> look into it. I don't know. You can probably get one on a horse. Um, Scent Crusher, we always rock the room clean in the studio. We That's rock right. one in our bathroom. Um, the gear bag, the roller bag, the closet. Um, I'm continuing to live out of the same roller bag this year. Um, I just like it. Works for oh, me. Yeah. I lose shit in that thing. That's how big it is. Sand Crusher is that brand that you use all year round. It really is. I think so. All year round. I'm, I'm excited so. to try that closet out. I've never had an actual closet that I can store stuff in and actually be organized and have everything hanging. It's going to be nice to not have to dig through a box. It's going to oh, be yeah. good for your hunters, too. It will yep. be, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, that is a good thing. The the scent eliminating part is a bonus, really. Okay, that's good, right? That's what Scent Crusher is known for. But the way they make the product to keep you organized is almost just as good as the scent, oh, yeah. the scent yeah. elimination part because I live out of the bag. Mm-hmm. And then everything right now is in my closet. Yep. So normally, you, you know, you're like, oh, I got to get it out and wash all the stuff because it's been musty because it's been in a Rubbermaid tote or stuffed in the back. Now you just run a cycle. Run a cycle. Get and it out. With it. Air it out and... You're good. Makes yep. your clothing last longer, too, if you're not sitting there washing it 30 times every season. Yeah, if you were like me back in the day, I wore camo Wranglers. That's all I wore. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then you wash them suckers, you know, throughout the season, and they're like gray wash. Yeah, four times, and you can't even see the pattern on it. You remember the camo Wranglers? Did you ever rock those? I never had Wranglers, but I did have some denim, like old camo, like Advantage camo back in the day. Yeah. So faded, you could barely even tell it was camo. I oh, yeah. like Farm and Fleet and Walmart always carried the camo Wranglers. I hadn't seen them for a while. Maybe they don't make them anymore. They need to fucking get their shit together. <laughs> hey, get your head out of your ass, all right? We're rocking Huntworth anyway, so. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I'm, I don't even remember what we were talking about. Scent Crusher. Um, old Barn Taxidermy, as of now, the Gyrebuck will be getting replica for the memorial. We'll have a replica of the Gyrebuck at the studio. Um, Ross got his replica mount back. It's it is, insane. It's absolutely yep. nuts. Um, I have two whitetails coming back, a coyote for the studio. Got some goodies, man. Um, I'm sure Old Barn will be doing the working class giveaway again this fall. Yep. Absolutely. My trad buck should be done here, hopefully in the next month or so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But probably the same time I get my bucks back, you'll be good. Yep. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, Old Barn is killer. Think about them for your buck this yep. year or whatever you shoot that you want to get mounted. Don't skimp on your taxidermist. Same thing with your tattoo artist. It's, it's one and the same. You will look at it and regret it. That's right. If you go bad, do good. Do good. Invest in quality work. Go. 
I'm an idiot. <laughs> I was going to say do good choices, but uh, I, I got let's you. go with that. Do I good got choices. You. I was like, I haven't drank enough of that old fashioned for this. Make any excuses for this right now? Um, yeah, uh, Doug is not here again. So uh, the podcast is brought to you by HHA USA. That's the or not brought. It is brought to you by. But we do the veteran shout out through them. Yep. And uh, Doug's not here. He gets all those and he reads them out. They go straight to Doug. Um, but it, yeah. HHA USA helps with getting veterans back in the outdoors, back into archery. They do a bunch of good things. They're a nonprofit. They support our veterans. We want to spotlight our veterans when we can, so that's why we do that segment. So if you would like to submit a veteran for a veteran shout-out, workingclassbowhunter.com, hit the contact tab, and that's how you do that. You can submit. Right. It's easy. Everything's there. Help Doug. Uh, he needs hooked on Phoenix, just like I need a better brain, <laughs> and uh, we kind of go from there. Um, but, yeah, thank you to HHA USA for, for doing all the good things they do for our veterans. Um, also Thermosy, HHA sports, you know, HHA USA, same company, uh, single pin sites, uh, code WCB 15 on their website. Um, Gator outdoors code WCB 25, 25 gator com. uh, lifestyle brand, uh, do a lot for our youth hunters in the community and all Absolutely. that. And loophole optics. I love my loopholes, man. I, uh, I feel negative. If I go hunt without my loopholes. So you said you're going to rock the twelve by fifties for a western hunt this year. You're going to you're going to put them on like a tripod. You're going to get any time type yeah. of like a tripod. I think I'm going to get a uh, a tr- uh, loophole or god damn it a tripod through loophole. And then uh, Clint's got a special um, tripod mount for the binos that yep. he's recommending. He said it's like forty bucks. Yep. I think I'm going to do that. He said he said it'll save you a lot of energy. Yep. And so I'm going to try that. I think, but I I will probably switch back to my ten by forty twos for whitetails. Oh yeah, but I Clint's talked me in to do the twelve by fifties. I run twelve by fifties on whitetails last year, and it's doable. They're just a little bit bigger than a than a ten by forty, but yeah. I got along fine with them. So. It, it depends on how well. It's not much bigger than ten by forty twos. Mine, because yeah. I think I have the BX fours on a twelve by fifty. Um, because what do you have, Eric? You have the bigger ones, don't you? Don't you have? I have the ten by forty twos and the twelve by fifties. I thought you had a, a bigger set than the twelve by fifties. No, mine are twelve by fifties. Oh, I thought you had a bigger, bigger ones. Mm-mm. Either one of those, you can white tail hunt with either one of those. I guess it depends on how it fits in my T and K. Right now, that's the kicker. Yeah. yeah, if it, I'm sure it'll fit fine. They're not that much larger. I just gotta. What I noticed too is like switching back and forth as your eyes have to adjust a little more for the twelve by fifties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, to get used to them because I'm so used to looking by through the ten by forty twos. That's so nice on a Western hunt when you can just leave the spotting scope on if you want to and just rock binoculars. It's amazing what 12 by 50s are going to pick up. Yeah. Well, oh, I yeah. think what I'll do then is because I'm still rocking my 10 by 42s, my bino harness. I think I'm going to go ahead and switch them out this week then to the 12 by 50. So I'm used to it. Just get your eyes used to them. Yeah. Yep. Plus, uh, by the time this is recorded, I should have glasses and contacts, which I'm doing to just help me in general, <laughs> like shoot better see shit better it's a so bitch to get you've old. needed them for the last three years i fucking have dude I have, <laughs> I have but it was one of those things i just didn't want to mess with it i just right. keep putting it off I, i'm right there with you i just keep denying it you know where i made my appointment walmart i'm going yeah. tomorrow at two o'clock get Perfect. it done whammy i mean i've, been, I've been wearing them since kindergarten so i'm just used to it really? i'm gonna get some big jeffrey Dahmer glasses and i'm gonna get contacts <laughs> there you so, go anyway loophole <laughs> Gotta love See if it. they can build your contacts into the bino. That would be sweet. I just look, I'm seeing in twelve by fifty all the time. I'm just like <laughs> wrecking my truck. Sick. Just looking like we a could hawk. go so many places, but I won't. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you to all our partners. Thank you for being here. Hope you enjoy this episode.
Chase Rolfson with Rubline Marketing. This is Jeff Lindsay. This is Michael Pitt. Hey everybody, it's John Dudley from Knock On TV. Hey guys, this is Jared Scheffler from Whitetail Adrenaline. Hi, I'm Taylor Drury from Drury Outdoors. Hey, this is Nick Mutt from Bow Collector. Hey, this is Melissa Buckman. Working class bow hunter. Working class bow hunter. Working class bow hunter podcast. Working class bow hunter podcast. Working class bow hunter. Working class bow hunter. Working class bow hunter. You're listening to the Working Class Bow Hunter. That's right. This is the podcast for Billy Joe Lunch Bucket, the working man, just like me and you. My name's Travis T. Bone Turner from the Bone Collector. Thank you for tuning in. Nobody pushes the envelope like working class bow hunter. It's really, really not that good. It is episode, well, what episode is it? 461, Mark? Gee whiz, Ooh. man. We're cranking them out. Appreciate you uh, jumping on with us again. Hey, thanks for having me. I always enjoy doing this, guys, especially just prior to the season. Well, this is your favorite podcast, right? If you ask uh, Matt, <laughs> it is. It is my favorite podcast. <laughs> well, we appreciate you saying that. It's good to hear. That. I don't deny that. And here we are doing something with the video, right? This is different for you guys. Yeah, yeah this is our first time in the new studio trying a video call with our new recording equipment. So, if all works out, if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. There is going to be a video version as long as our equipment doesn't catch on fire. So don't hold me to it, but it's working right now. So we're good. Good. Well, this is the first thing I've done officially in our new home here in West Des Moines. So I get to show off the wall, you know, that we had put in and it looks great. uh, This is, this is my little man cave studio down here. So it looks awesome down there. I mean, how many bucks got back there? One, two, three, four, six studs. Not enough. That's my patented answer. <laughs> it looks good, man. It looks real good. So, uh, but no, thanks for coming. Um, we got a ton of compliments and still are, especially last year we did episode uh, 380, and that was like the summer scouting episode we did with you. And we had so much response to that podcast. Um, it's probably the number one podcast that we've done where we get people commenting and saying they listen more than once to take notes. Let me dog on. That's awesome. So, that's cool. Well, maybe we can uh, talk about some stuff today that we didn't hit last summer and, you know, get everybody fired up for deer season. Yeah. And, and you and I talked a little bit. I want to do a technical type podcast again, but I don't want to dive into summer scouting because I feel like we covered it so much in last year's episode that I feel like we would just cover the same material because um, it still applies. Mm-hmm. Certainly it applies. Yes. I mean, every summer is different based on you know, food rotation and what type of rainfall and stuff you get. But the basis of what we covered in that was, I think, pretty thorough. And we, we went down some rabbit trails as well. Of course. That one, and I'm sure we will today as well. So Of course. That's what we do best. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what we're good at. We pave rabbit trails. Just all over the place. <laughs> that's why we're still around, I think. Uh, but one thing, you know, I want to talk about this before because you're – you say that you're maybe more passionate about turkeys than you are whitetails, which I find crazy, but – that's what you're into. I, I am. I really am. If the flight wasn't so long to New Zealand, I'd go there in the fall. And I'm, and I'm not joking. I, really? I I like to deer hunt. I really do. And, but I love turkey hunting. I mean, it's my it was my first love. 
it's still my true love and I'm just very passionate about it. You know, I'm glad yeah. that deer and turkey come at different times of the year because <laughs> right. you don't have to decide. I mean, you could go fall turkey, but it's spring turkey hunting that I'm in love with. So, yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, this past season, I think was tough for a lot of people um, more so and, and rumors flying for people who didn't experience it about the turkey population being down. Um, we hear about it more in Iowa, which is right where you're at, but I've heard kind of everywhere it's down. What's your take on that? It is. And it's multifactorial. You you talk to one guy, you hear one opinion and you talk to 10 other guys, you might get 10 different opinions. But um, I think there's a lot of things that are that are um, really working against the wild turkey these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly habitat loss in a lot of places. And I don't mean from like, you know, construction or homes and whatnot. But in, in general, they reduced the CRP acres by about 25 percent, about three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. So if you erase all that and you take all of that and put it back in production, I mean, that's, that's a big, big number across the country. Um, the nest predation, I think is probably one of the biggest issues uh, back when the turkeys were really on the rise in the seventies, eighties, nineties, and early two thousands, there were still a lot of people trapping and you didn't have the population of nest predators that you do right now. The coons and possums and, yeah. and skunks just smoke them, man. Yeah. Um, Couple that with some really wet weather and not only just wet springs, but torrential downfalls, downpours the last few springs, a lot of flooding in prime turkey areas. But more importantly than the flooding, just wet springs where the, the poults get wet. It's not healthy for them. They put off more scent. They're easily mm. more easily, um, you know, susceptible to predators. Um, I have my own theories in addition to some of those factors. You, you also look at hunting pressure. Hunting tactics have changed. Yeah. Used to be that the big male dominant gobblers that were doing a lot of the breeding would take care of themselves because predominantly to, to kill one, you had to call one in. Well, hend up turkeys take care of themselves. They generally don't get killed mm-hmm. for the most part. These days with the advent of fanning and reaping, I think it's, it's made uh, turkey hunters a little more effective on those birds that have hens with them. Yeah. And so if you take out that dominant mating gobbler, there's a lot of studies out there that show some of those hens then don't go find another bird or don't have a bird to replace him to do their breeding. So Dr. Chamberlain talks a great deal about that. Um, Mm. I've been in communication with Dr. Woods over the last probably month and a half. and, And we've been talking about all the effects that all the things that have changed in agriculture over the last 10 years. Mm. If you look at what farmers are putting on their fields right now for herbicides and pesticides. A lot of these products didn't exist 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's some things that they had to remedy with certain weeds and certain bugs, and they're just a lot stronger. Uh, couple that with the seed coats. You know, there's a lot of suspicion about those seed coats harming the insect population, um, harming the songbirds, the honeybees. You know, people in Canada and Europe have been screaming about the seed coats that have the pesticides in it. Mm-hmm. It's systemic, so it goes throughout the plant, and it's not just the seed that's coated. It's then the leaves and the, the roots and then the, you know, the corn or the beans, whatever comes off of it. So if you add all that up, you can see it's been a perfect storm over the last 10 to 15 years where you're starting to see populations really decline. I, I hear others say that in the southeast it's the, you know, the chicken manure that gets put on, on fields. It's spreading disease to turkeys. So Interesting. Uh, it, it's concerning with what's going on. And, and I don't know how you turn all this around. You know, certainly, yeah. you know, the awareness is going to help turn it around. 
but you know, if it is big ag, that's, that's the big factor, which I personally in my heart wonder if that might not be it. It's right. like, man, we've seen such a decline in the last five to 10 years. And in my mind, I'm like, what's changed? Agriculture's changed a great deal in, in yep. the last five to 10, particularly with, with the sprays and stuff that we're using. So yep. if that's the case, you know, how do you get that turned around? You know? Yeah, that's a good point. The CRP, the CRP thing, they are turning around. They're putting more acres in right now. So, you know, perhaps yeah. there's going to be some additional habitat out there. That's interesting. The farm, I think once you can prove that it's big ag, I feel like a lot of companies like save face would pull the whole, the Oh shit. I hope. And then maybe change some things. I mean, you think they would because it's the environment and it's wildlife and that stuff really matters and it looks bad on them. We don't have proof of that. So, you know, I don't want all the people in the ag industry, you know, writing or calling going, what the hell are you talking about? I'm just throwing their theories out there that could be multifactorial, you know, could it be? That's the way I look at it. Like, what if it is that, you know, right? how do you, how do you fix it? But do I know that for a fact? I I don't know. I'm not, it's a a good theory. I mean, and I like that you brought up maybe like the, the higher pressure of hunters, um, I, mean, I guess we could probably blame YouTube of people trying to, <laughs> <laughs> trying to reap turkeys and do kind of unorthodox things that are effective. Um, I've never done that, but I know there's there's a big hard opinion. I feel like from what I see, um, if I look from outside the turkey game, looking in, of there's guys that are against the whole turkey reaping, high pressure type hunting, and guys that are more the traditional style. Um, call them into you as part of what turkey hunting is. Right. You know, and, and I see that debate and, um, you know, I, I try to do things in a common sense approach whenever we're turkey hunting. And here we are, we're going down this first rabbit trail of turkeys in our, in our deer podcast. <laughs> right, but right. Like when I approach a situation, like if I go into farm and the, and the numbers are down, I, I'm just not going to be as aggressive in there. Or yeah. we walked away from a bunch of, of breeding hen, or breeding gobblers with hens this spring. And we were like, Let's let him alone, man. Don't yeah. don't go fanning. Let him go. Yeah. You know, we'll go try to find a bird that's by himself or a group of two year olds or something like that. So we try to use it in a common sense approach. So regardless of what tactics you use, I think you still have to manage your turkeys just like you manage deer. You know, if you're not hearing what you want to hear, then don't go in there and, and go killing them. And I, right. I, myself, I've reached out and tried to gain more access in different places. We're traveling farther to get to birds in and around my Missouri and Iowa camps so that we're not stressing all the different farms we hunt. And uh, yeah. it really worked because it, turkey permission is still available. Uh, yeah. It's hard to get deer permission, but once in a while you can get lucky and get some turkey permission or perhaps a, a short term lease on turkeys that that won't, you know, won't kill the budget or whatever. Yeah, definitely. No, I agree with that around here in Illinois as well. It's easier to find. People just don't care as much about turkeys because yeah. they don't have antlers. But no, I'm glad we covered that. It's a uh, it's a big topic around here. People talking about how tough it was. And I mean, we had we had you on a late night turkey camp podcast and you guys were having a killer season. We're all moping around yeah. and you're like no it's, it's all right <laughs> um we, we did have a good season but i got a lot of spots to hunt you know and if yeah. you're not working here i move over there and we put on a lot of miles but but i work hard at getting my turkey spots lined up so that i've got enough birds to to hunt during the spring so yeah uh, and i've been doing that for for many years like we we manage our turkeys harder than we do our, our deer and we do a lot of habitat improvement we do a lot of you know predator control and i think it's showing in the silver lining of this whole conversation like I'm hearing decent reports about hatches 
uh, here in the Midwest, certainly. Mm -hmm. Today, I was on the farm, and uh, myself, Wade, and Perry were out checking some food plots, and we saw a couple hens with six, eight, ten little ones. I talked to Casey Morgan last night. He saw a couple hens with, like, close to 20 little ones. Wade saw a couple hens the other day. He thought were 12 to 15 little ones. Awesome. Mike Miller, our, our game warden here in, in uh, Clark and Decatur County in, in Iowa, said he's seeing quite a few young birds. So I think it'd be interesting for you to put it out to your listeners to see what people are seeing and, and get a poll count from different parts of the country. Because yeah. we did have a really dry period here in the Midwest from like May the 15th through June the 15th. And I, I think that it's right in the hatch, you know, so that probably yeah. helped them a little bit. Well, know? maybe we'll put something in like, you know, once this gets posted on Facebook or Instagram, you know, maybe sure. comment in there what you're seeing for yeah. for your hatch or, or turkey numbers. And we can kind of just roughly survey that. Um, now, I'm glad we talked about that because it's super important. I think, too, when you brought up like the um, what would you call them? Nest predators like raccoons. I, I was just talking to someone the other day. They should make raccoon season year round. They should. I agree 100%. I can't just believe they haven't. I, I think they should. If you want to help the, the wild turkey, I think you, you almost have to. But I'm not a biologist, and I'm sure there's reasons not to. I right. don't know what they are. You know, that's not my gig. But I, I think there's a lot of hunters, you know, pushing a lot of different DNRs throughout the country going, look, this problem's been here for a little bit. We've got to start reacting to it in right. some way. And we've seen some states do that. I heard Oklahoma's going to a one bird limit in the spring. Gotcha. Alabama reduced their uh, overall harvest uh, regulations in the spring. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll see other states do the same thing. So the awareness is starting to come uh, about, especially through social media and just hunters going, where the hell did all the turkeys go? Yeah, you right, know? right. Uh, there's a lot of places where they're in dire straits right now. And I mean, we, we got to figure it out some way, shape or form, but it, it's going to take more than just reducing the, the harvest. Right. Right. You know, definitely it's going to take a lot more than that. I don't think I would be mad if they made raccoon season year round. Cause I think I hit one with my truck, like probably once a week. I live in the country and it, <laughs> it is insane how many raccoons that live out here. It's insanity how many there are right now. Insanity. I can't believe that there, there's not. I mean, I'm sure there is crazy diseases going on, but you almost need to just put a bounty on them again and have people go out and shoot them. At some point, they would get distemper or something and and reduce their population. You know, deer have EHD. The wild turkey population gets blackhead, (laughs) and at some point, when when do the raccoons get their their big disease that wipes them out? The trash pandas are resilient. Yeah, they're yeah, they're tough. (laughs) We get like forty pound raccoons out here in the Midwest. Like something's got to happen. That's a problem. Especially it, for it, crop damage, too, you know? It is. It is. It's a, it's an issue. I mean, you see them walking around the daylight out in the fields and stuff in the spring. Yeah. It's like it, it, every time you see a wild turkey in the woods, it's a walking miracle. That's the way I always say it because they've got so many things against them. Everything. Everything's Every- against them, you know? Especially, yeah. like, think about being, like, a hatchling. you got hawks. That's the scariest hawks. thing. Terrible. Yeah. How would you like to be a baby wild turkey? It'd be the worst. Yeah, it'd be terrible. It'd be it would be the absolute worst. Like you have to worry about death from above all Every, the time. All the time, yeah. All the time. That's yeah. my uncle Girl, growing up. I shot a turkey in the fall out of a tree stand one time, and he was like, "No, you didn't." I was like, "Yeah, I did." He's like, "No, you didn't." He goes, "Think about it. A wild turkey is worried about hawks from the time it hatches." I'm like, "I got lucky, okay." And but he's giving me shit a little bit, you know. But he's like, "Think about that." They are hard to get drawn on. They, yeah, almost impossible. You have to get lucky. Yeah, uh, you do. But yeah. let's talk about deer a little bit. Well, let's do it, man. W- you know, we talked about deer on that summer scouting episode so um, extensively from like pressure and to trail cams. I mean, we covered about everything we could cover, I think. Um, but what I think would be cool 
talk about a little bit and you and I kind of brainstorm together is talk maybe not so much about deer, but your mental prep for the deer going into season or your physical prep or whatever it may be, because that most times is just as important as working your way around the tactics for the deer in in a strategic way. I, I think so. I think the preparation we do for our own game uh, is very, very important. You know, you can never practice the moment of truth because you can't practice adrenaline. Mm-hmm. You know, I've read articles and stuff. I remember when I was younger, guys would say, run a 100-yard dash and take a <laughs> shot. You know, it gets you. And it, it, that probably there's some merit to that. So if it works for you, great. But it's very hard to practice adrenaline. And adrenaline screws so many different situations up. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you look back at the mistakes you've made when hunting, where you really just after the moment's over – and you calm down, you go, how did I do that? Right. Yeah. Because you could stand there on the range and, and hit, you know, the top of a pop can all the way out to a hundred yards. And then a deer walks by at 15 and you miss high, right by yeah. two feet. You know, it's yeah. like, and sometimes, impossible. sometimes you don't even remember looking through your peep. Right. Yeah. You're you like, don't even remember oh. what happened. Yeah, you're like, did I even look through my peep yeah. or did I just draw back and fling one? You know? Yeah. Like adrenaline is tough. You can't, you can't duplicate it. Yeah. Practice it. So I always try to, you know, most importantly, make sure you're in great physical shape before you go deer hunting. And, and I'm not talking about hitting the gym and, you know, looking like Austin Wade or Perry or these guys, <laughs> you know, like these guys are, they're specimens, you know? Yeah. I just want to make sure that my shoulders are in great shape. Um, I, when I work out, like I work out on my cardio to make sure that I can breathe and, and do all that good stuff. And then I work out on, on pulling a bow and make sure that I can, I can hold a bow at a long range and take a shot. Mm-hmm. And I work on small things that revolve around the bow hunt. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and I do a lot of walking and I do a lot of, you know, stuff with my shoulders cause I have a bad left shoulder. So, you know, um, I remember a few seasons ago before I discovered what it was and got to the right doctor and told me how to fix it. I have a, a, a biceps tendonitis in my left shoulder mm-hmm. and I just couldn't, I couldn't draw weight. Right. And I'm yeah. like, what was going on? And I, I hunted that fall in, in the mid forties, like the year I killed October, I was shooting like 46, 47 pounds. No kidding. Like nothing. Yes. And so it goes to show you, and, and the reason I knew I could is because I had seen Taylor graduate from 30 up to that range. Right. And I'm like, if he's getting this penetration. I'll get it because I have a longer draw. Right. So, you know, I went to a doctor and I'm like, how do I fix this? And I got a bunch of exercises I do with weights, you know, like hold it out here and then there and, mm-hmm. you know, do all, go all through all these things. You can look it up and look at bicep tendonitis and look at the cures for it. And it will show you what to do with you know, free weights in a real slow fashion mm-hmm. to fix those things and make you stronger. And I'm in my mid fifties now. I, I don't have the strength I once did when I was your guys' age. Mm-hmm. So I work on things to make sure that I can still shoot. And I still don't shoot a lot of weight. I shoot in the mid to high fifties right now. Yeah. Uh, but I work on that a lot. And then I, I try to work on like the mental side of things in terms of like the mistakes I've made in years past. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when you make a mistake, if you have to write it down or if you can mentally put it away in your mind so that you can go back to it and go, yes, I screwed that up when that deer came in and I screwed this up. I screwed that up and and go through that mental checklist ahead of the season many, many times so that you can avoid that in the moment of truth. Cause again, you can't practice adrenaline. It's going to take over. It's going to try and, you know, it's, it's the devil on your left shoulder (laughs) going, Oh, we're going to shoot high here. And you're going to shoot when the deer is facing you instead of broadside. And like, think through those scenarios. And, And when I watch TV shows, like, I'm thinking through the hunt scene 
regardless of whose show it is, like, what would I do right now? When would I draw? When would I shoot? When would I stop the animal? Like, I think you can't practice those types of um, enough because we go through so much preparation financially, mentally, physically, spiritually, you know, time fighting with your significant other, whatever it is for that moment of truth, make sure you're prepared mentally for that moment of truth. And the best way to do that is prepare and over-prepare so that when you get into game day, muscle memory takes over, you can slow the game down and you are ready for that moment of truth. Yeah. Uh, I love that. The rust comes in from season to season. We were talking yesterday about your your early season hunt out there, and and was it Wyoming? You said you were going to. Yep, going to Wyoming. You know, your first shot of the season might be at a giant. You yeah. know, and it's like you can't prepare for that. At least in the Midwest, we shoot does. We start the season yeah. off just pounding does, right? Yeah, to, I got one tag. The adrenaline's still the same, so you want to get through that those repetitions. It'll make you a better shot on bucks. You've got one tag. Yeah, I think you have to prepare even more so yeah. to get ready for that one shot, you know, because yeah. chances are you're only going to get one shot if that, you know? Yeah. And, and honestly, Mark, one thing I like that you said that I want to touch on and that I feel has helped me a lot. And like my process of like killing deer is our, my, if you, anyone that's been to the studio or seen photos, you see my DVD collection, all the jury DVDs, all the real tree DVDs, Matt sent me a bunch that I didn't have, like a bunch that I was missing. So I, ch- yeah. I challenge anyone to bring their DVD and VHS hunting video collection against mine. I will beat you. And if you can beat me, I want to see it. Cause that's gotta be, you have to be insane, <laughs> but I think like you get to study and you know, one, you get to see like the deer coming in and then you get to see a shot where a shot is and uh, like similar now, like deer cast track has replaced a ton of that, but that process then like, even like, just like the monster bucks DVDs, it, it wasn't, the story it was just kill after kill after process after after process after process so i watched a ton of those um but going back to is like you know the mental game running that through your head visualizing like when i lay in bed every night i'm pretty much thinking about (laughs) the process of the buck i've been hunting coming in if he comes in from this side of the spot i'm going to in the morning how am i gonna get ready or that type of thing you know trying to visualize draw back when to Right, like you're like okay, I know you. You know what I mean. You're yeah. like you're mapping it all out in your mm-hmm. head. Well, this Friday actually, this is one thing that, and this is a physical thing, not a muscle physical thing. But my vision is to the point where I got to do something to get glasses and contacts and stuff. And I'm noticing when I'm shooting at sixty yards, I'm more guessing where the dot is on the target, and I'm like, I ha- this has to change because if I go to Wyoming. And like you said, I'm shooting at a monster and say he's 65 yards because that's all I can get. I want to be able to practice with good vision and know that I'm dead nuts on at 60 yards or whatever it may be. And I think the one thing that's keeping me from being more accurate at long range is my vision. So I'm going this Friday and I'm going to get glasses and contacts. I'll wear contacts, right? But I'm going to just hope hopefully that helps me a ton. I'm really excited about it, actually. You know, this reminds me of one of Terry's favorite sayings. Like if I start complaining about an ache or a pain or, you know, like you said, your vision, like he always says, look at it this way. It just gets worse. <laughs> right? <laughs> He's 10 years older than me, you know? So, yeah. and it's the truth. Like I'm telling you right now, like these problems continue to haunt you and get worse through, through your, as you age. Yeah. Uh, I think about how I reacted and how I hunted when I was in my mid twenties through say 
40 versus, you know, mid forties through now I'm in my mid fifties. And then I look at, at the way Terry's hunting now, you know, yeah. he took a fall back in 18, which further banged him up a little bit, you know, and yeah. you have things happen to you in life that slow you down, but your passion doesn't slow down. Like you still want to go and you still want to make good shots and ethical shots. And you, you have to overcome whatever happens to you in your life, you mm-hmm. know, whether you don't have the time to practice that you used to, um, or whether you've had an injury to an arm or that the more, the more I do this and the more people I talk to, I have a lot of people come up and go, I'm having the same trouble with my shoulder. And, and a lot of it's from shooting for so many years. Mm-hmm. I started shooting when I was 13, 14 years old, you know, and now I'm in my fifties. I've been shooting for 40 years. That's a lot of repetitions mm-hmm. on every muscle that you use. And I shoot a lot. You know, and, and I've, I've had to bring that weight down to make sure that I can still shoot comfortably yeah. and shoot accurately. And, and I think even your shooting regiment, we're talking about prep, preparing for the season. Like when I'm shooting a target, like I'm not just shooting to shoot dots, like I'm shooting to kill an animal in my mind. You were talking about visualizing it. Like yeah. if I'm shooting at a, at, even if it's a, a morel, you know, target out there that's spots. I still envision a deer standing there and I still envision that arrow going through that deer side. I I don't think you can mentally gear up enough for the moment of truth so that when it occurs, it's not a surprise, you know? And and I think that's what happens sometimes as hunters, like because it happens so infrequently, you know, if you think about the last 10 years, how many shots have you had? It's it's not a, it's It's, not a bunch. It's not a ton. And and that's also a good point too, is like you see guys that are new hunters, like two, three, four years in and they're all of a sudden like an influencer and it's kind of it's funny because you're like man you can't know i don't know anything if you break it down that way so like new guys in it's like man it takes so long and just being in that moment to really learn it like you can think you know it but you don't actually know it until you've done it years and years and years and years and i'm sure you can attest to that you can still screw up even if you think you know it and you've done it for 40 years Dude, I had the worst year shooting last fall that I've had probably ever. I really was so frustrated with my performance last year. And, and I do all this preparation. And, mm-hmm. and in my mind, I'm like, geez, am I, you know, am I losing it here with age or whatever? And <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm like, I, I got so mad at myself. My last two or three shots were great, you know? And I'm like, you just like, I think it's a little bit of mental acuity that I've lost as I've aged. And I'm not focused like I need to be, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I, I, I kick myself in the tail when I make a bad shot on a whitetail because, you know, I, I, I'm kind of used to making decent shots. You right. Know? Right. And, and then I'm like, this is not right. You know, so I got on the range and I started shooting more and more and more and figured out what I did. I started watching video of what I was doing with my hand. And, and I have a bad habit when I get excited to grip the bow. Right. You yeah. know, you, you want to grip whatever the hell you can when you're, when you're excited like <laughs> right. that. And, and, and if you go on the range and you shoot like you normally do with, with an open hand and then grip it, if you're a right-handed shooter, I shoot high, right. Every time. Yeah. You're torquing, much, you know, and that's what I was doing. And I, I started putting stuff on the front of my riser so that I could feel it when I gripped. I actually took an old piece of carpet, you know how scratchy it is. Yeah. And I taped it to the front of my riser and I was like, then I started letting it go because it reminded me to quit gripping your damn riser. So ah, interesting. it's all about correcting what you're doing wrong. And that's why I was saying, you know, preparation for that first shot of the season. Like I would urge you or anyone out there, think of everything you've done wrong in the last five, 10, 15 years, however long you've been hunting, write a list down. I screwed this, 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 and this up. And and then if it's fresh in your mind, you remember not to make that mistake again mm-hmm. because you forget yep. things, you know? Yep, definitely. Um, 
I was talking to Levi yesterday and I, I we were talking about this problem, you know, and I said, I know you and Josh are working on that tape. Could you come up with something for the front end of a riser? Cause I'm sure I'm not the only one that grips the hell out of your bow and then makes a bad shot. And he was yeah. like, you know, Josh and I have actually been talking about doing something like, like that. Like a trainer of some kind. Well, this like his nose button, you know, it has those spikes on it or whatever. He goes, yeah. you can actually glue those on the front and feel those. And that's what I want. Something that mm. hurts when it touches it so that you immediately let go. Cause when I'm open palm, I shoot well, but when I close, I, I shoot drastically off. Just put a, so, just put a razor blade on the front of there, Mark, there and then you'll know. <laughs> I'm ready for needles, whatever it takes. <laughs> yeah. It's unacceptable to hit an animal poorly because of you can't control your own emotion. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's my opinion of it. Like I was really mad at myself last fall. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Archery you know? is such a mental game. And it so is. like my thing with archery is, you know, I immediately want to go back and shoot long range. And I, uh, I got my bow. I retuned my bow in after I did like the first, I don't know, two, 300 shots through it kind of went through and did some bear shaft tuning yesterday afternoon, actually. And then, so what I'm going to do now is go in and just bury the 20, 30 yard shots until I'm just so confident there that I can't stand it. And then the next week I'm going to go back and do the 40, 50 yard shots until I'm so confident there that I can't stand it. And then I'm going to go back 20 more yards and then go back another 10, 15 yards and just get confident at no matter what I got to do. And then I'm going to practice like my steep angles for Wyoming. Um, but what I'll, what I'll do after a certain point, because mentally, you know, I'm aiming at a two inch dot at 60 yards and I might be just outside the dot and I feel like I'm missing. I'll start aiming at 3d targets and going, like you said, going for kill shots where I want that arrow. And I feel like that makes me way more confident. Mm -hmm. And then I perform better because I feel so good about how I'm shooting and I'm not stressing out about missing a Sharpie mark on a target at 60 yards. And you know what I mean? For me, that's, that helps me a ton. Um, so I'm going to go to get back to that point. This summer is my goal. I think that's wise. A long time ago, I was watching like one of the early quest videos and they had this shooting, this uh, archery training guy in there. And he made a comment that stuck with me forever. He goes, if you, if you're practicing on the range, whatever you're comfortable at, cut that in half for your hunting effective range. In other words, if you want to be, if you want to be really effective at, 20 30 and 40 while you're deer hunting mm -hmm. then make sure you are proficient at 40 60 and 80 when you're practicing right you know so I, and i've always stuck with that and, I, and that has really helped me if you force yourself to shoot well at 60 70 80 90 100 yards then you're going to be fishing a barrel when you're in there at 15 20 and 30 yards yeah so i've always spent a lot of time at long distance practicing i think and it's fun it is of vital importance to mm -hmm. shoot at long distances and yeah. become proficient at those distances. That's why we talk so much about like single pin sites, especially at longer distance. And, and I like the single pin for two reasons with the HHAs. One, it's easier to aim at longer distance because you don't have all the pins clustering yeah. your, your field of view. But then what I like is it forces me to live by my rangefinder, And I like that because I'm not like pin gapping. I'm taking my time. I'm shooting for the yardage. My target is at, and a lot of people are concerned with like, what happens if it moves? You know, like I literally have my loopholes with the rangefinder right next to it on my chest all the time. I do not go anywhere without yep. it. So I'm always click, click, always, and I'm right on my dial. It takes a little bit to get used to, but we talk about that so much, and that's like the main concerns we get. But I live by my rangefinder. I don't care if it sounds tough or not tough to say that you guess yardage. 
I want to know if it's 33 yeah. yards, I want to be able to shoot it at 33, yeah. not 30 Put and then hang a little it. high. Certainly. And, and I shoot an HHA single pin as well. Yeah. And I divide the pin up to top edge, center and bottom edge. Yeah. And I leave it set at about 20 yards. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if they're closer than that, I use the top edge. If they're at 20, I use the center and the bottom, the bottom edge of that will take me out to 30. So most of my shots, I don't ever readjust, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, that's something you can do is, is use the different parts of the pin because it, it is different. Yeah, I haven't done that, but I, normally what I end up doing is finding out uh, what does Scott Bakken call it. I always forget the terminology he uses. I basically call it like where my pin falls out. So if I have it set at 20, I'll step back to like 25, 30 to where it's like, you know, if it's a huge drastic change, I'm like, oh, I know I can't use my 20 yard on a 33 yard shot. I have to roll it to, you know, I got to roll it down a little bit or um, they, HHA has a ton of good videos on their YouTube that kind of breaks it down on how to set your pen yeah, and, and with your sight tape and stuff like that. They did a pretty good yeah. job with that. So if there's any yeah. concerns about a single pen for anyone listening, they got you covered there. They'll make you feel comfortable about it. They they do in, indeed. And and if you're not comfortable with a single pen, shoot the multi pen and, yeah. and go whatever you're most comfortable with. I'll yep. say that. Don't just cause we're talking about a single pen. Don't get off of what you're used to. If you're right. very proficient with a multiple pin sight, don't worry about it. Yeah. Go kill them. Yeah, know? don't panic and change halfway no. through all your practice yeah. and then have to start over. Don't change right no. before October. And you know yeah. that goes for any type of gear. If you're comfortable with a certain type of release aid, I, I like a you know a finger release aid that's pulling the trigger. You know, yeah, a caliper style. Yeah, you know, a lot of guys shoot the back tension releases. You know, uh, but just because you see somebody doing something, do what works for you. And yeah. make sure you you try a lot of different things. Find the one that you're most accurate with, and then stick with it and make yourself more accurate. You know. Yeah, um, yeah. I shoot a hybrid. Like we get asked out a ton what we use because I feel like I'm punchy with the caliper when I get like that adrenaline dump. I feel like I tend to like oh jump and I I kind of flinch like oh I just dump that out and but I use like a it's a, it's a bag tension but it's on a release strap so I pull it back while holding the strap. And then I put my hands on it. So it's kind of like half a back tension release, I guess. It's it's a Scott Hex is what it's called. Right on. Yeah. Whatever so, whatever works. Yeah, that's my cure for slowing me down because it's got a click. So, like, I'll get to I use a kisser, and then I'll squeeze to my click and then pull through from the click. Absolutely. That keeps me calm. I'm still using the finger. So I, I think they're – I mean, they're great, but I'm an idiot. So I, <laughs> I, shoot, I shoot the Hex. If you're going to shoot a, a caliper, make sure you get a deep, deep grip with it so that it's a pull rather than a punch. You know, mm, yeah. If you use the tip of your finger, you're going to punch it. If you use the center, your meaty part of your finger, it's a pull. Gotcha. That's a good tip. Is that what you do, Doug? Yeah. Okay. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Okay. Just check. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see if Doug's still awake over here. No, I'm good. <laughs> but no, I think the mental game, archery is mental. And I think mental preparation, like going from the shooting process to practice, is obviously probably most important. And then visualizing. But I think even as little as like sticking to your goals of, you know, if you have a target buck is like trying to maybe stick with that mental goal. Like that's what you want to go after instead of like letting your adrenaline dump go. And then you shoot a buck you didn't have. I mean, maybe not as important because whatever you shoot, you should be happy. But does that make sense a little bit what I'm trying to get to? Oh, yeah. That's part of the mental game, right? Like, you know, like how how set are you on the plan? (laughs) (laughs) Right. First of all, do you have a plan? And then how married are you to the plan? And some of that probably will be dictated by time and energy and that type of stuff. Of but course, yeah. We're lucky in the fact that we get to, to hunt 
uh, a lot in the fall. So, you know, if I've got a target, that's it's generally going to be that that buck or, or not at all, or maybe multiple targets or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that's a, a good play to to stick with the, the game plan and try to ride it through to the end of the season. You know, the, yeah. there was a guy hunted last year in Missouri that just drove me crazy. Never did kill him. Mm-hmm. Hunted him from September 15th all the way to January 15th. Didn't <sighs> kill him. Drove me nuts. Oh. Drove me batty. So did you ever have like the mental urge to like shoot a lesser deer from frustration or maybe like, no, no. no I mean, I shot one early that came in really well. Uh, during the rut because I didn't have the right winds to hunt this other buck yeah. and I have buck tags and I shot a real nice uh, nine point, but I knew that second tag was, and, and I had been hunting the other buck exclusively mm-hmm. and then I didn't have the wind and I went to another spot and killed a real nice mature nine point. But yeah. other than that, there was, there was no way I was shooting another deer. And Mark, if he's around this year, I won't shoot another one, you know, at least with one of the tags. Right. Right. I want to ask you this and you can tell me to kick rocks if you'd like, like, I feel like that's fair because you have, a high profile show and you guys have been around. I mean, do you feel the pressure on you to have to kill a deer for the show or like, would you wait out and not kill deer on the show for a while and just be like, cause it builds a story. You, you know what I mean? Um, um no, I, I, well, I guess the yeah, others, there's pressure to make sure that you do things right and well, and, you know, set the right examples. And mm-hmm. we try to live by that. Uh, but in terms yeah. of shooting a particular animal, that's a personal like feeling that comes from inside. Yeah. So no, I'm not going to go out and shoot a, a deer. That's, you know, just for TV. Right. You know, like I think Tom Ware said it best. I heard him say this line about three or four years ago on, on Bo Manis. He said, your heart will always guide you in the right direction when you, when it comes to, is this a shooter or not? Mm-hmm. Right. So let your heart be that, that detector for you. You know, don't let your mind go, well, that would look good on Instagram. I'm going to shoot that deer. No, if your heart's going bonkers and you're like, that's a shooter. Oh my goodness. I, I can't wait to hopefully get a chance at that deer. Then I think that's a very good, uh, rule of rule to live by like your heart kind of does let you know when when it's happening right, right. You yeah know? yeah yeah it, it just does and, and when there's you know, certain you know. deer you see and you go, oh, well that's pretty that's nice you know and then the next one you see is oh my god here he is you know and yeah your your heart lets you know so that's a good answer i mean i figured that was the case but i had to ask it and you know what i just realized while we're doing this video and while you're saying that that we're little in the box on the screen and that you're big on the screen so i wonder if we can uh switch it here hold on on mine we're both the same okay i had it wrong so uh <laughs> hey here we go we got it right now finally so we're uh yeah. 40 minutes in oh well uh, you're you're the guest it, it looks better like this though anyway yeah, true no one's to see our faces live and learn remember i said this is our first time doing this in the studio but uh but no i love that answer because i feel i feel that's what gets a lot of people with shows in trouble is because it's almost really not for the right reason, or it ends up changing down the road to not be for the right reasons mm-hmm. anymore. I don't know from from a viewer. I think that there is a at times a disconnect even within our stuff. Hunting is such an emotional thing, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's an emotional sport in all aspects, and sometimes there is a disconnect between the emotion you feel in the field and what ends up airing. You know, maybe it's the wrong music choice or someone said something in- incorrect and it got yeah. used or an editor's choice of a certain uh, scene um, that sometimes I think causes a disconnect that it is not intended to be that way. It, yeah. it is very hard to portray 
what you're feeling as a hunter whenever it comes on onto TV. I've noticed that. So we try very hard through the narrative and the music and the moment and the footage and the, the way that we edit to make sure that it, it, it number one shows the ultimate respect for the animal. And number two also shows that it was an emotional decision and an emotional moment to take that animal's life. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's just very hard to portray. We Mm -hmm. do, we do our very best at it, but I will say I've seen other stuff that leaves me scratching my head at times, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, what the heck I go, what the heck, but who am I to judge? Like we could only do what, what we feel is right at three outdoors and portray the sport in the way that we feel it, it, it should be portrayed. And, and we have a saying, make it about them, not us. We try to make it about the animal and the viewer and not ourselves. Mm-hmm. And if we live by that rule, make it about them, not us. And I, I think that's uh, helped guide us through through several years of, of doing this. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, that's why you guys have stood out. I think, you know, it's, it's the, the, the direction and, and basically the, the theme of the whole show. It's not, you know, look at us. We're awesome. And we're killing these deer. It's like, you're showcasing certain animals. And I, I just like the whole painting the story of like all the deer behind you that you've killed. You know, it's, when you watch, we were watching them in the studio the other night. We had the fight party for the McGregor fight, and we were watching the old uh, Boontown, and we're all just like gawking over like the bucks coming in. That's part of the fun of watching the videos. Like I'm, I'm a true fan uh, of all DVDs, hunting DVDs, and stuff like that. So maybe I'm a little more opinionated because I grew up watching a bunch. So there are certain things I like and don't like, but but no, I, you guys do a killer job. So it's well, I appreciate that, and I'm a fan too. You know, I I love. I love watching. I used to buy every Monster Bucks video that was ever made, and I'd sit yeah. there and watch them all. And I bought all the Quest ones, and you know, I can remember I the Gene Winsel and Barry Winsel when they first came out with their stuff. I watched all that, all that. And yeah, every turkey video I could get my hands on. I watched all that, and you know, I was truly just uh, enamored with just the the game and the way it was portrayed. And, and I'm still that way. I watch outdoor channel all the time and, and YouTube, I go on there, Instagram. If I see content, I watch it, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. still a junkie about it, man. I, I love watching wildlife. I think it's, I think it's amazing. And there, there are some people these days that do things so incredibly well. There is some mm. beautifully shot stuff in terms of the, the cinematography, cinematography, the storytelling. I mean, there are some really epic stuff out there right now. Yeah. You know, there's some really rough stuff, but there is some beautiful stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I think yeah. the consumer is pretty good at, at sorting out the difference between the two. Definitely. Oh yeah. I definitely think so. Is, is there anything that you think in the mental side of things, you know, uh, talking about like from shot processing to visualizing to just maybe tweaking stuff, whether it's a muscle or your vision is there anything that we're missing there to get prepared if you know if you want to hunt a big buck or just you anything know, whatever you whatever you want to hunt really we talked about a lot of it in terms of make sure your muscle memory is there and make sure you shoot as much as you possibly can but not too much i think there's a a happy medium between i'm shooting really well and holy crap i'm fatigued and my pattern just went like that mm-hmm. and that, that's when I try to put the bow down and come back to it in another day or two. I let my muscles react, relax and, and recuperate and then come back and shoot again. So I shoot often, but I don't shoot uh, a lot when I do shoot, if that makes sense. Like makes I sense. like to shoot 
six to 20 arrows every day if I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also avoid wind at all costs. I will not shoot in the wind because it gets in your mind. It, you can't shoot well in, if I'm trying to sight in. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I avoid wind. Once I'm on, I will intentionally go shoot in the wind and practice my drifts, especially yeah. like if I'm going up to Alberta or if I were going to Wyoming, I would practice some drifts in different different uh, wind speeds at different distances. I think it's very important to understand what wind does to a shaft at 40, 50, 60 yards at 10, 20, 30 mile an hour. So I would advise you once you feel like you're in tip top form and you're pounding that circle, start practicing in different conditions. Uh, if you're going to hunt out of a box blind, practice out of a box blind. If you're hunting out of a tree stand, pop, practice out of a tree stand. Mm-hmm. If you're hunting in windy, windy conditions out west in a spot and stock situation, do that. Start practicing from elevated hills, shooting down into a creek. Whatever you can do to emulate this, the exact scenario you're going to be in just makes you that much better once you're there. Definitely. And then once you get in that position, slow that game down. I talk about it all the time in our shows. Jim Tomey told me that years ago. Here's a guy that's Hall of Fame, 612 home runs. Imagine the pressure of people in stands, 40,000 people screaming at you and and taking a 95-mile-an-hour slider out of the ballpark, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he's, he has the uncanny ability to slow the game down. And I think if I hear his, his uh, voice in my ear anytime I'm about to shoot an animal, slow the game down. And if you just give yourself a little mental checklist like that, when the moment comes, you're probably going to slow it down. Take that extra second to aim. Mm-hmm. Don't shoot if your sight's doing this all over the animal. <laughs> like, cuss yourself out if it helps, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like, you're screwing this up right now. Fix it fast. And then settle in and then take the shot. So slow the game down. Talk to yourself and make sure you talk yourself through those moments. Yeah. No, I think that's important. I tried to do that. My the, I visualize it. I try to do it. But I feel like I get better at it. The more I do it, of course. Yeah. But there is still some times where I feel I've done that and I've and I've got it. Like my my kisser, I have like my shot process with the click like I talked about. That helps me slow down and make sure, you know, check the box, kisser, you're you're here you are, your peep, everything's lined up. Like I kinda check through that way. But I get sometimes where you just get so jacked up. It has been a few years, but I know that it if I'm not prepared, if I start to get cocky then I'll slip and I'll end up back into the doing the, what the hell happened? I hit hide type of situation, but it's, it's hard to do that when you're so excited and you got a deer coming in, but that's where the visualizing comes into play. But it's such an intense moment. Like you said, it's almost like being in a fight, you know, like in a way I've been using the term, like I'm training now with my bow, like I'm going into a fight. And I think that's a good way to put it. Cause the fight, like, let's just use the McGregor-Poirier fight we just watched. How long does McGregor train for the one night, and if he screws up, he's got a broken leg to heal now, and then once that's fixed, now he has to go back to training, mm-hmm. and all he can think about is visualizing not getting beat up by the other guy and coming out with a win. Kind of the same thing in a way, like for my Wyoming hunt. I have from now until the first week of September to either mentally psych myself out and mess this up or to overcome it and mentally get strong with it and practice the right way and visualize the right way. And it's, it is a lot of pressure. Like I, I feel it. It is. Cause more than likely weather will take about half your days away every year. Mm-hmm. I always say that weather will take 
30 to 50% of your days away where it's just crap weather. They don't move. You don't get a chance. And then when you finally do get a chance, are you going to have multiple chances? Hell no. You're not going to go to Wyoming and have three or four shots. I would just about bet, unless it's an incredible place, you know, most hunts come down to execution of the shot at your one or two chances that you're going to have. Yeah. Stoltz said that years ago, another quote that oh, I mentioned so many quotes that things stick with me. He said that years ago, he goes, the difference between a good season and a bad season is making those one or two shots that you were presented with, mm-hmm. you know, and because you're not going to have many shots this fall. That's just, that's just the way it is. Yep. Unless you're on, you know, a farm with a bunch of does and you're just shooting, you're on doe mission or something like that. But yeah. on, on a target animal, like a lot of people are looking for a mature buck. How many shots are you going to have this fall? It ain't going to be many. Not many. So you got to make sure you're ready when you get it. Yeah, especially on a specific deer. Like if you got yeah. one buck, maybe one. Maybe none. Maybe none. Maybe you're none. lucky maybe, for one. <laughs> maybe maybe two, but it's, it's seldom more than more than a few. You know. Yeah, and the pressure on the if you do get a second opportunity is even heavier. Oh yeah, you know what Redemption. I mean. It's like you got to really button it up and get moving in. But that's what's so awesome about bow hunting, though. It's so multi layered from just everything going back to the episode we did last year, entry and exit to mental preparation, to physical preparation, to wind, to like you said, weather in general pressure. It's it's not easy to do, which is why it's so fun when it happens the right way. It is a big chess match. It really is. And your heart and soul are in it because you're emotional about it. You're passionate about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a lot of feelings that come in, come in along with all this stuff you, it's easy to get disappointed it's easy to get down and sometimes that's where you have to kick yourself in the butt as well you know if you blow a stock or spook an animal or you know you can't you can't let that ruin the rest of the season or the rest of the day or whatever it is like that's gonna that's gonna happen some of the best hunters i know are it's much like a closer in baseball the best closers have a very short memory because they're going to blow saves yeah. and they, they can't let that blown save carry into the next game or then they're done right yeah so it's the same thing with spooking a deer or, or missing a shot don't let that carry into your next hunt or you're you're really in trouble so you have to have a very short memory in this game in my opinion granted you got to remember those mistakes and try to correct them but don't let it bring you down mentally mm, to yeah. the point that you can't perform the next time. Right. That's good advice. Yeah. It's, it's tough, man. That's what's fun about it though. I mean, really, if if you went out and killed a deer every time, it would not be it wouldn't be your response. And we wouldn't have a podcast if that was the case. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, we'd have so ten you, episodes and it'd be done. So do you have some target animals in mind or um for this fall? I, I'm I'm hoping you have something in Wyoming or you got anything, or do you know what what size animal are you hunting in Wyoming? I'd say I would like to see myself get on a one seventy buck or better. We will that's see. Big, big mule deer, it's a big mule deer. I just want something that looks like. I mean, that one sixty mark is going to test me. Um, our buddy Ross Bigger shot a one sixty buck, and it's a beautiful mule deer. Like that's that's what like to me. I want a good representation of a good mule deer, and but from talking to all my buddies on this tag I drew, they're like in your unit. You know, I'd probably like we were talking about. I need to get married to something. Get married to a one seventy or better. Nice. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm gonna try and do that. <laughs> you know, I'm going with an one of my mule deer idols, and I'm really. I told him, I said, man, if you tell me something, I'm going to absorb it and learn and listen. So if he's like, hey, man, let's wait. I'm waiting. You know, I'm gonna. I'm going in 
as a, as green as I can on a mule deer hunt with who I consider an expert and my buddy Clint Casper is going with, he's killed some giant muleys and I'm going to just be between those guys absorbing as much information as I possibly can from where they're looking, how they're looking, how they're approaching certain things in the mountains mm-hmm. and what they think, what, what type of caliber buck we can go in on. So I, I will say I'd like to kill 170 or better. I'll, 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 I'll get married to that right now on the podcast. I'll make this prediction that you're going to learn as, is it a week long hunt? How long is it? We're going to go five days. If I have to stay nine, 10 days, we're going to do it. Okay. So week plus or minus, I'll, I'll make this prediction. You're going to learn more in that period of time, not only about mule deer, but just yourself and then whitetails and how to hunt them as any week long period you've ever had. That's the thing that I love about mule deer hunting. You watch them on TV and you go, man, they just stand there. You know, they, they mm-hmm. don't seem, you know, whitetails are constantly running, you know, tail up, they're fleeing. Yeah. Mule deer have taught me so much about whitetail deer and it's made me a better hunter because you know, the game's there and you've got to try and get to them. Mm-hmm. Whereas whitetails, you're letting them come to you predominantly. And in mule deer in a spot stock situation, you're taking the game to them. And I, I'm here to tell you, you're not as good as you think you are until you try stalking on a mule deer buck. I yeah. mean, those suckers are hard, man. I mean, it, it is hard to get in on them, whether you have wind cover or, or you know, enough uh, cover in general to get in there on them. I learned so much about myself and my abilities in those, you know, 15 plus years that I've been going to Alberta hunting with Corey Jarvis. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just amazing what other hunting experiences can teach you that you can bring back home and make yourself better at home. Yeah. And my mule deer hunts annually have, have made me better on whitetail deer. Well, I'm looking forward to that then because I'm going in as just, I'm going to learn as much as I can and I know I'm going to learn a ton. So that, that makes it more exciting. And I can see what you're saying. You know, it's, it's a different type of hunting, but it's, I think it's cool to just get, go somewhere new, go for a different species than the normal Illinois, Iowa whitetails and kind of get that notch of experience and, and just knowledge under my belt and kind of builds me as a hunter in general. That's yeah, going with the right absolutely. people too. So I'm going with, I mean, great <laughs> friends, but knowledgeable friends. Like I, I highly respect them in the mule deer game. So, and killers, I mean, they, they have a track record of, of killing really big deer consistently. So it's, that's, uh, yeah. that means a lot regardless of what you're doing, elk, mule deer, whitetails, turkey, whatever. When a guy's got a, uh, you know, a resume, Yeah, you know that you're going to learn a lot on that trip, you know? Yeah. That's, Devin's that's got, uh, I mean, he killed, we, we did a podcast called the cemetery buck. I think that buck was two thirty. Oh, I can't remember two thirties. He's got a two twenty four or something like that. And one just over 200 and it Clint's got a bunch of DIY over the counter, Colorado, one ninety muleys and so, not a bunch. That's, he's, that he's, is so tough to do. That is so tough to do. They're nuts. They're nuts. They're, they're spending some time. Like, yeah. They're, they're, they're paying their dues. That's why I'm just going to be that. I'm I'm the intern, man. I'm just going to soak it all in and, and learn from them. That's so. a smart approach. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, it'll make you a better whitetail hunter too. Yeah. Just understanding what mule deer do on a daily basis. I mean, they, they feed all night then they're going back to bed and then the evening they're getting up out of their bed and trickling down. And the difference between them and whitetails, whitetails are doing the same damn thing. But mule deer, you get to see it often because it's big country. You can look across the cannon and watch what they do. Yeah. Whitetails, it's, you know, they're all hidden and secretive and you don't get to see that. But it helps you become a better whitetail hunter, just understanding what deer do on a daily basis. That makes a lot of sense. I'm excited for it because I don't even know, like, I, I mean, I've mule deer hunted in Oregon a little bit, but it was more open. 
um, hill country, I guess, in a way. Uh, but I'm excited for this because I want, like, I'm excited to learn how to look for them. You know what I mean? Like, I want to see, like, where, okay, we're going to set up here in glass. Like, well, where are you looking and why? Like, I'm excited to learn just, like, even that fairly basic stuff, but maybe not. Maybe it's not basic. I don't know yet. But I'm excited to learn, like, that process. Okay, then we find one. How the hell do we get over there? And 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 what's the what's the game plan? I'm excited for that because it's just different than the Midwest. Because like you said, you don't get to do that. You don't get to spot a whitetail bedded. Yeah. T- I mean, I've never snuck up on a bedded whitetail in Illinois. Ever. Occasionally, you might get the chance, but you're going to blow it when you get close. Most likely, <laughs> right, yeah. You know, on a whitetail. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a trick, man. I love mule deer up. It's it's awesome, and the, and it's just where they live is so beautiful, right? Yeah. I mean, it's gorgeous. Definitely. Anytime you're real out, you're somewhere pretty generally. So Yeah, Wyoming's I wish, incredible. I wish you luck on that. I ho- hope you do well. I hope you learn a bunch. And Thanks. I hope you get to kill a nice mature mule deer. I mean, it'll be cool if, you, if you're able to. Yeah, bottom line, I mean, 170 buck, I would be oh, overly thrilled. You know what I mean? But, th- you know, I say that I'm married to that. I, I would be thrilled with an opportunity at, at a mature mule deer not killing one. I've never killed one with my bow. So I'm not going to go in cocky. Sure. So go have a good time. Let your heart be your guide and you'll do fine. Yeah. And, and what I'm excited about truly is um, I get to hunt on my dad's birthday out there, which is September 3rd. And my birthday is the sixth. So oh, I'm gonna, that's cool. So I'm hoping I could kill one on my dad's birthday. It would yeah, be, be awesome. like a dream come true. You know, I'll, I'll bet you it's raining and snowing and winds blowing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good luck, Kurt. <laughs> yeah, he's like, uh, oh, you wanted to test. How huh? you got cocky? I heard you on that podcast with Mark. Yeah, that, that's what'll happen. He's so probably. cocky now. Oh, no, he's with you, right? <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Dad. Yeah. 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 So I'm looking forward to that. It'll be it'll be a damn good time. Hell yeah, that's gonna be awesome. So, Dougie, you got a white tail? Your uh, I got one. I'm after. So we'll see how it goes. I still got to do a lot of scouting and uh, get some stands up here. Yeah, I had two white tails. I'm hoping to see on two different places that. I'm hoping could be up there in the numbers, but I don't want to throw anything out. Yeah, we're not throwing numbers out. Yeah. What about you, Mark? I know you said you got the one that you never caught up with, but Yeah, he kind of he kind of went MIA there in December sometime. So I'm hoping he shows back up. That Missouri buck may not be with us anymore. I don't know what happened to him. Mm-hmm. I didn't get any more pictures. We didn't find his shed. So I don't know. There's a couple deer in Iowa that I'm hoping, you know, grow some. Um but do I have a number one target target? Not per se. Mm-hmm. There's one that if he's around, he would definitely be my number one target. But he's kind of sporadic. He doesn't stay on the farm a lot based on pictures the last two years. So mm-hmm. he's going to be a tough one to run into. But yeah. you just never know what's going to blow, though, either. You know, I have a lot of right. different satellite farms. I used to always have just one big monstrous farm. Now I've got an 80 here and an 80 there and whatnot. And yeah. they, they have a way of always ending up, you know, providing – something that gets us really excited so we'll, yeah. we'll see what what the cameras look like i don't have them out but they'll they'll be going out here soon awesome i haven't i don't have mine out yet i just was getting them out of the garage and making sure batteries were good and all that so i'm uh yep. I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what what's coming in you know it's do, do you think like the this has been a pretty wet summer do you think that has a huge impact on like antler growth it it does it definitely does you know because that those plants that they're consuming, mm-hmm. you know, anytime from when those antlers fall off into spring green up and then on in through the summer as they finish out, those are nutrient transfers from the soil into their body. 
And the more rainfall that they're getting and the more young uh, plants that are growing, that's a direct nutrient transfer from the soil into their body. So if you have, if, if you think of it in worst case scenario, drought, dry, stemmy, nasty, well, what nutrients are being transferred in their body Yeah. as opposed to, you know, one where you're getting an inch every week and there's young green clovers and legumes and yeah. stuff all over the place for them and it's lush, you know, it does make a huge difference actually. Yeah, I think so just from what I can see. But, you know, I mean, I haven't been able to cut my grass in like two weeks, it seems like. So I, I might have a big buck bed in my yard as I'm about to put it in the CRP <laughs> program. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I get home and I'm like, no, it's raining again. I can't mow my grass. So uh, <laughs> so maybe I'll kill one there. <laughs> yeah, well, ho- hopefully. But, I, you know, and it's not a big difference. Like the, the thing I have noticed in drought the years, like, A, they don't finish out real well. They're a little stubby, a little more, you know, just don't look like long tines. They're also more brittle in drought the years. You'll see a lot more breakage in years that are, that are you know, with droughts oh, where they don't have that transfer. Hmm. But you take a, a wet year, and we've had a, a decently wet year, although we went through a dry period there from mid-May to mid-June. But you take a wet year, you generally don't see nearly the breakage. So that also goes back to that. It, does it help? Of course it does, and it, it helps with the density of the antlers. Well. I never thought about the breakage. I never even thought to pay attention to that. I didn't either. That. I thought they just... It makes We're me fighting. Yeah, it makes yeah, I just thought like, yeah, they got a little more aggressive. I never really considered that a thing. Of course they can break them whenever they want, but if right. you watch really drought the year, look what the racks look like in December, man. They get all shattered. Wow, I never I'll have to pay attention to that. I never even thought about it. <laughs> it crossed my mind. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, it does make no. perfect sense. Just one thing you never you never think about. You it's I feel as I get a little more knowledge and I mean like with food plots and stuff you start to attribute certain things from one type of the year to another type of the year. But on a basic level, it's hard to compare things from May to January that they could be in, in relation, but they, it makes sense. They definitely do. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Everything makes a difference with whitetails. Everything does. Yeah. Just stress they go through, you know, or yeah. if they had an injury the previous year that you're unaware of, you know, they could have got horned from another buck and, and, and got an infection in their leg and then all of a sudden the next year they don't they're not even close to what you expected them to be. Yeah. They get nagging little injuries that affect antler growth all the time. So yeah. uh, it's not always just about rainfall. There's a lot of other things that that can affect it. That's almost like almost like turkeys just not as bad. Everything's against them. Everything. Except for hawks. Except for hawks. It is. <laughs> it is. You know, it's it is you're turning the tables on nature to get a deer to five or six years old yeah you know and then have him healthy and have a great rack i mean it takes a a slot machine all lining up (laughs) to get a six-year-old that's in great shape great health and he optimizes rack he's as big as he's ever been because there's a lot of reasons working against that happening definitely definitely hey um i think we've covered a ton on this podcast but before i forget what's taylor doing well, we were just spent a week uh, together, ten days uh, on our family vacation. Yeah, and uh, she's she's back in Utah. So gotcha. Her and, her and Austin are there, and she won't record with us. So I got to ask you how she's doing. Yeah, we got to talk to you about it. She's great. I told her I was <laughs> like, I'm I'm getting ready to go on with working class, and I'm going to call you. And she goes, they always give us trouble and say we won't come on. She goes, we'll come on. And I go, well, I know I'll she will. You. It's I'll call. Her. I'll see if she. Is. It's kind of part of the gimmick at this point. Cause she, Taylor did our podcast uh, early, on. early on, like I think in our forties. And then ever since then, it's kind of, 
see if she answers. <laughs> Can't see it hardly. Unavailable. She, oh, <laughs> she knew. <laughs> oh, bless her heart. Bless her little heart. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's actually, I know she'll do the podcast. I just think it's funny to give her an Austin hell when we see him about it. The yard guy is here. They're getting some landscaping done. Tell Kurt, thanks so much for the invite. <laughs> <laughs> See, it goes back. It's like it's our relationship there. I said, call me. She said, no. <laughs> Perfect. Well, that's funny. I shouldn't, have war- I shouldn't have warned her. She probably would have picked up, but she knows we're doing this. Oh, she would have killed us, though, too. Throw her yeah. on a video podcast unannounced. That's funny. Well, FaceTime, I don't know whether she got ready today or not. So sometimes face FaceTime declines have nothing to do with other than I don't yeah. I'm not made up or whatever. I'm <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, if somebody FaceTimes me nine times out of ten, I'm ignoring it. Yeah. Really? Oh yeah. I I try to I try to pick up because I'm always curious. I wonder what they want. Well, <laughs> it depend it depends. If I'm I don't know. It depends where I'm at. If I'm with my buddies and someone FaceTimes me, I'm gonna answer it. But I think it's kind of weird. I don't know. Maybe it is weird. Like Steve FaceTimes people a lot. I was never into that. I feel like it's weird. Yeah, I don't know if it's old school. Like, just call me. I don't know. Yeah. Or text me. Maybe I should do it more. Maybe I'm a bad friend. <laughs> Maybe I'm learning something about myself right now. Is. Do you Maybe FaceTime you, you FaceTime your buddies a lot, just in general? No. The person I FaceTime the most is Taylor. That makes sense, though. Tracy and I FaceTime her all the time because she's in Utah. We're here in, in yeah. Iowa, so... We want to see her and talk to her, and it helps keep you connected. But yeah. I don't FaceTime. I, I FaceTime my mother once in a while as well. That makes sense, too. Somebody that I want to see, you know. But, like, are you going to call Wade up and FaceTime him? Uh, we do FaceTime a lot. Like, if I'm one part of the farm and he's another and mm. we want a show or, or like, uh, you know, if there's a new pawn going in or a plot or a blind or whatever, we do FaceTime a lot, actually, Wade, Wade and I do. But it's always work-related. Work-related. Never- <laughs> hey, what's going on, man? Hey, you buddy. <laughs> Blowing kisses at each other. Nothing weird like that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, Mark, yeah. I appreciate you doing the podcast again. This was fun. I like the the mental, deep talk. It's always enjoyable. It, it was. I enjoyed it. And uh, hopefully it was, uh, you know, something that people – pull something from i know you said they liked the one about the summer scouting i know we didn't get into like killing deer as much but yeah honestly this side may be more important than the, all the rest of it in all honesty i think this podcast almost should have happened before the last podcast as oh, a part guess. one and part two yeah. but if you haven't heard that episode which it's 380 listen to this go and tune into that one um i think they could probably be butted up next to each other you know, the one episode, the prep, and the other one's more in the woods for the deer type uh, podcast. So yeah, pretty much should have you ready to go for the season then. Yeah, these are on, those are the only two episodes you need for the year really? going into the fall. You go. <laughs> stop, you can stop listening to the podcast. <laughs> Shut the rest of ours off. That's all you need. So, Man, I want to do something really special prior to turkey season next year. We, we texted about it and joked about it, but I'd love to get some of these you could do a series with these turkey killers, man. There's there's yeah. guys that are just absolutely eat, sleep, and breathe turkey hunting and turkey calling, and and uh, they would make great guests for you. I have an idea, and we'll talk after we get done recording, but I have an idea for that. I can't wait. I just thought of it. <laughs> it might be a great idea, but it might be absolutely horrible. But I think it, <laughs> I think it's a good idea right now, 
And I've only drank like a beer. So, so it's got to be all right. It's got to be a better idea be than decent. it normally would have yeah. been if I would have drank five beers, you know? Right. Exactly. Isn't it amazing the stuff you come up with when you're half drunk? <laughs> and then the next day you go, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> I, I, I can't do that. <laughs> I got to give myself credit because I feel like when I do get drunk or we get drunk as a group, which is dangerous, we think of ideas that actually are pretty good ideas 40% of the time. There you go. Not bad. A little less than half. It's not, not bad. bad. It's not bad. It's not bad for. How much? How many drunk ideas we have? <laughs> oh, that's batting pretty good, you know. Who's so? Who's up next? Who? What are the guests you got coming on that are? We that's got to be hard. Like, how do you keep? How do you keep rolling with guests? I mean, as many podcasts as you've done, like that can't be easy to keep that guest list, you know. Yeah. Interesting. I actually find it fairly easy to be honest. Um, like we're running out of time. Like I was telling you, it's we're double doing like double booking day, like podcast days. So we're doing two in a row sometimes because, you know, we can't always record on like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Like I would love to do three a week, but just with our work schedules and family and stuff, we just don't have the time. So, um, you know, we have a baby due, uh, by the time this airs, it'll be, I'll probably be at home with a newborn baby. But so we've been double recording to kind of be in preparation for that for maybe a little time off, but also to just get people we want to get on during the summer. Um, but we have a trad podcast coming up, traditional bow hunting podcast with nice. a bunch of our friends that'll be in studio. We actually have uh, Greg and Casey are coming in right on. We have uh, Larry McCoy from outdoor group will be in and we have, well here, I mean, I don't want to give away my, our whole calendar, but we're booked all the way into October now. And then I quit. No I, kidding. Awesome. Yeah. I quit busy, booking. Busy. I quit booking into October because it's hard to stick to a schedule once hunting season's here because uh, weather and kill. Like if somebody kills, we want to be able to do a podcast that week about the kill almost as in as in real time as we possibly could. But I mean, we're booked all the way into and Eric's going to have a baby here soon. Too. And Eric's got a baby due October 10th. So, yeah, we're booked. We're straight into the first week of October. I think Casey's got a baby due October 15th. Oh, no Maybe. kidding. Yeah. Terrible timing, boys. <laughs> but better My than November. My anniversary is October 21st. Your an- wedding anniversary is? Yeah, but Tracy's a saint. She is a saint, but, you know, but back then all I thought about was turkeys, and I was like, <laughs> I picked the date because I'm like every year we're going to have fall coloration, you know, and that's why I picked it. But yeah. little did I know, you know, that many years ago that we'd be this into the deer, deer stuff. So, yeah, well, I'm sure it, it probably evens out somewhere, right? Like she probably, she makes you pay for it somewhere. No, like you said, she's a saint. I, I mean, know. she's, she's awesome. Like, yeah. I'd be lost without Tracy. She's I gotta say, Mark, she's cooler than you are. <laughs> she is that much I know. She, she can outdrink me too. <laughs> you know, I I was like, not, I don't know. This sounds bad for any of my buddies that I'm friends with that their wives are friends with us. Like, your buddy's girl is never as cool as you hope she's is. Is that fair? True. That's true. I mean, not always. Not a, see here. I am. I'm getting in trouble. Not always. That doesn't always nah. be true. But usually, you're yeah, kind of like, usually. yeah, don't bring her around. But uh, I feel like Tracy's pretty damn cool, and I know she, she doesn't listen to these podcasts. Or, I mean, if she does, I don't know why. But so we're not we're not kissing her ass just to kiss her ass. But that's how <laughs> she, I feel when I met her. I won't disagree. She's an amazing, amazing person. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'd be lost without her. 
and Terry likewise would be lost without Willa. Yeah. We're both very, very lucky to have, have these two ladies in our lives. I'm lucky to have my wife. She lets me do a lot of awesome stuff. Like my wife's the same as well. Like my wife is about ready to pop and she's at home with a sick two year old and I'm here recording. Like she's like, do your thing. You know, um, Doug, how's your girl? Oh, she's great. <laughs> she's just non-existent. So <laughs> <laughs> she's awesome. But yeah. <laughs> I got no babies to do. So deer hunting's looking good. <laughs> yeah. No. Too wide open in October. Yeah, right. <laughs> Future's bright, huh? <laughs> Future's yeah. Got to put my shades on. Future's so yeah. bright. Got to wear them inside. Oh, we're idiots, Mark. I don't know why you do this with us, man, but we appreciate it. I love doing it, man. You guys are the best. Really appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. Well, let's see if we can do another one before fall, because I know how it is. Once uh, season yep. catches up, you're gone. So, um, but if we don't do one before fall, best of luck to you. I think we will. We'll figure one out. Yeah, we'll figure one out or do it during fall sometime or impromptu yeah. calls late at night. Hey. I pick up. <laughs> it's amazing. When that happens, I get more compliments about episodes. They're like, dude, you just get Mark Drury on like middle of recording. That's so awesome. Like, he's cool, man. Let's just, we're buddies. So it works out. I love it. I enjoy it. It's good. I love talking about hunting. We need it's to get good. Chase, you and Chase, and a couple other guys to come to the studio one day in the next year. And come in and do an in studio podcast. That'd be badass, wouldn't it? We got the setup here. We got a, we got the bedrooms. We got I everything. Built, I built my own though. See him, or we come there. There you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's not that far. It's really not. So it's not. I think it's about three and a half. It's not that. Far. Yeah, that's all it is. It's straight shot, man. Yep. Straight shot. Well, cool. Well, I appreciate it. You want to say anything before we close out? No, I mean, anybody that wants to keep up with us can do so on, on social media through Instagram or Facebook or anywhere at Drury Outdoors or obviously jump into DeerCast and you get all things Drury all the time and that algorithm and DeerCast track and we mentioned it earlier, but mm-hmm. DeerCast has really just, it's been, uh, it's grown beyond our wildest imagination. It's really, really been well received and we thank everybody yeah. out there that, that has done that. So yeah, it's a great tool. And then real quick, I don't know if you guys posted on DeerCast, but I know on your Instagram, remember we talked about the two bucks with the big flyer drop time yeah, thing? Cool. That's worth going to your guys' Instagram and checking out. So our buddy Cole Young shot a buck with a giant flyer, and then one of your guys killed a buck that looks – they're brothers. It's weird. Well, not only that, it wasn't just the flyer. It was the shape of the times and the, the forks. Splits, and the splits, yeah. The splits and the length of the times, and I'm like – this is uncanny how much these two look alike. It's crazy. Well, because I, I think you contacted me and go, hey, where'd you get that velvet buck that's on our social media pages? Trail cam footage and velvet. Trail cam video. Yeah. And I was like, I don't, I'm not sure. Let me check. So I, I reached out and I was like, hey, where'd that video come from? And they said, well, it was Kyle Amores from 2018. It came out of the, our server at, at the studio. And I sent you that and you go, well, not the same buck. Then you sent me the one your buddy killed in 2020. I was like, holy cow. Then yeah. we did a little investigative reporting, you and Taylor and, and the social team started, you know, comparing yeah. notes about where the hell, how far are these, were they about 120 miles apart? As I recall, roughly. Yeah, roughly. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I looked at it. I'm like, I texted Cole who had shot that buck. He named it Tommy Tomahawk because the big Tomahawk sure. coming off the beam. And I'm like, hey, go to Jerry's Instagram. Is that your buck? And he's like, he called me. He's like, no, that's not it. And I'm like, are you sure? I'm like, look at the trail cam video. He's like, maybe it is. He goes, can you find out where that came from? I was like, let me text Mark and and, uh, Taylor, and we'll get to the bottom of it. And 
So it just was crazy. It, they they're the same deer pretty much. So I mean, they are, and, and you know, you could see like two eights that resemble each other, right? But when you add the fork and then the drop time, two yeah. forks, yeah, two forks, and you add the drop time, it makes it so unlikely. It's one in a billion that these two look yeah. this much alike. It's crazy. We need to get. Them both in the studio with both the mounts in the studio. Like, really compare them, yeah. And, and have them hanging next to each other and do a video podcast about it. Yeah. It'd be and pre- it'd be pretty cool, honestly. That'd be really cool. We, we'll, yeah. we'll get connected with them guys because, I mean, hell, we, I mean, that that would just be cool to see. It'd be cool to just get side-by-side footage of the mounts next to each other alone. It is. And if you think about, like, all the bucks you've ever seen, it's not often where you go, Oh, that buck looks just like that buck. You know, they're no. all their own unique works mm-hmm. of art, right? Yeah. It's amazing how wildly different they all look, mm-hmm. um, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, that's the best part about them. It best is. Part. It's awesome. Well, cool. So if you guys haven't seen that, get on the jury Instagram and go check that out. And then we have the, actually the trail cam footage of Cole's buck making a scrape on our Instagram and mm-hmm. all that. So right. it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. So. Cool. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much, Mark. We always appreciate you having have, having you on and giving us the opportunity to conversate with you and uh, teach us all something. Um, so, Doug, you got anything? Uh, thanks, Mark, and uh, everybody get mentally prepared. That's right. It's go everybody time. Slow that game down. Yep. Slow the game down. You know what to do. Go shoot your bow, please. Bow. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.